0: Have a seat. If you'd like to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Yes. (laughs) How it is in our house now, she's great. Uh, Mark chapter 12 and... We're going to be looking at verse from verse 38 on page 1018. Mark chapter 12, starting at verse 38. Let's read verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, Watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the place of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and, for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished more severely. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, the poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. One of the words which gets banded around in church and if you spend any length of time in church you'll hear this a lot is the word worship we talk a lot about worship we have time of worship we have worship leaders we we talk about a life of worship but what do you think worship is it's one of those words we use it's a kind of religiousy word but what is it what is worship I think one of the most helpful ways to get a grip on what the Bible talks um, when it means when it talks about worship is to think about the wedding vows that we tend to use in Britain, and there's there's a certain line that is often used, which I think captures the idea of worship. It's when in the wedding vows, it's the giving of the rings, we say, "All that I am, I give to you; all that I have, I share with you." So in getting married, you're totally uniting your life to this other person. You, you get all their possessions. They get all your possessions. So when I married Vicky, I got the Indiana Jones James trilogy on DVD, which was kind of the best end of the bargain. She got all my CDs, which was great for her. But they but they not only get possessions, but you share you, your time, your devotion, your attention, your commitment. There's a giving of everything, saying, all that I am I give to you. All that I have I share with you. And this captures something of what worship is. To worship God is to give him what he's worth. To give him all of you. But worship can turn ugly. It can go wrong. And that's what we've seen in this section of Mark. We've we've talked about it being the house God built. Jesus has come along to the temple, which is God's house where God dwelt um, for for the people of Israel, God's people. And this was the place of worship for Israel. So they would come to the temple, and we saw this at the beginning of this section, they would express to God their worship, their giving of themselves completely through sacrifices, through giving money, which we see in in our section today, and saying of prayers. So they're meant to come and express this devotion, but that's not what Jesus found when he came along to God's house. Israel's worship of God was supposed to be, all that I am I give to you, all that I have I share with you. But Jesus found temple worship that, at the beginning we saw, kept people out. He found leaders who were plotting to kill the Son of God, who fired question after question at him, trying to catch him out, putting God in the dock. They were trying to take over God's house, take over God's people. And this was tragic, and and this causes Jesus so much anguish. They've perverted their worship. Jesus found division, controlling leaders, money and power. That's what was going on. And there wasn't any room for Jesus, the son of God, in their worship. True religion, true worship should be all that I am, I give to you, all that I have, I share with you. But that's not what Jesus found. But I think all this can feel slightly irrelevant to us israel and their worship i mean it's sad it's bad you might look at it and go that's not good what jesus found but what's that got to do with christians in 21st century london why does jesus spend these chapters exposing time and again their ugly worship i'll have a look at verse 38 i think this shows us why it's relevant verse 38 this is kind of bringing this section to a close as jesus taught he said watch out for the teachers of the law watch out he has, he has a warning he puts at the beginning of our section. Now if you're driving down a road and you come across warning sign after warning sign saying, "There's a cliff edge," you don't drive by thinking, "Oh I wonder what relevance that has to me." It's there for you, the warning sound sign. That's what watch out means. It could affect us. Jesus is saying, "Watch out. Could this be you?" If Jesus came to spend time in the Globe church, what kind of worship would he find? He's been hanging out in the temple. What would he find with us? If he did a tour of the churches in Britain, what kind of devotion would he find to God? So we're going to listen in this section to Jesus give his kind of final verdict on the worship he finds in Israel. And he's also at the end of this section going to show us what true worship looks like. But there's another thing I want us to see as we go. As we go along, we're going to stop and look at Jesus as the true and greatest worshipper. Now, that may sound quite strange. Jesus as a worshiper, you may not even thought that way. I mean, we worship Jesus. So what's he doing being a model kind of worshiper? Jesus lived out what Israel were failing to be. In fact, he lived out what you and I fail to be. Human beings who are totally devoted to God. Jesus Christ gave his father all that he had. He gave of himself. Christ gave to God the Father. He said, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. He lives that out for us. So we're going to stop as we go along and look at Jesus worshipping, okay? So let's have a look at this first section. What kind of worship does Jesus find in the temple? Verse 38, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. And have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honour at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Now at first this whole image of these kind of teachers of the law prancing around just looks, it's quite repulsive because it's so kind of extravagant. They look like just fancy boys showing off with all their clothes and all their importance. And the extravagance of it all just puts us off. But they're not just extravagant. That's not what he, he's not just saying, just watch out for these fancy people. This is serious because they're, they're the leaders of God's people. And they're abusing their role. They've twisted the vow of worship. Remember we said that the, the promise of worship and the intention in the heart is, all that I am I give to you. All that I have I share with you. Here's what it is for these guys. All that I am is all about me. All that I have I share with no one. That's their attitude. Because they were the teachers of the law, of God's word. So they had their noses in the Bible. And that's what makes this behavior so ugly. They could go from a Bible study, they could be with us on Wednesday night at Globe Focus, not this Wednesday because there's laser stuff happening, but other Wednesdays. They could be in with their noses in the Bibles and then leave the Bible study and go out onto the street and live their lives saying, look at me, respect me, with no hint of irony or, or difficulty between those two things. They felt no contradiction in their temple gatherings where everyone, all the kind of common people would sit on the floor and they would have raised seats around the edge. And so they were ready. As soon as scripture was, was read, they were ready to give their sermon, the first to speak. There is no embarrassment about being the elite. We kind of have a funny relationship with the idea of elite today. We kind of love it, but kind of hate it. But they were the religious elite and they, they loved it. They embraced it. They flaunted it. They had the the places of honor at banquets. You bought a round of drinks for them. Okay, Let's just be clear on the pecking order. I don't know if when you go out for drinks with people, there's a kind of pecking order on who gets drinks for who. It was pretty clear. You wouldn't catch them doing the washing up after church. Don't expect them to stop and chat with you or make time for a coffee with you. Everyone else is kind of below their spiritual pay grade. That's what's going on. All that I am is all about me. All that I have, I share with no one. God has always appointed humans to to lead his people, to lead them in worship. And humans have always abused that privilege. So verses 38 to 39 look kind of arrogant, all these flowing robes and sitting in places of honor. But verse 40, I think, shows the toxicity of this perverted religion. Have a look at verse 40. They devour Widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. They pray on the week, and they pray these fake prayers. Prayers which are impressive and long but all show, they're empty. Now, some of you are very new to... um, living a life outside of the home where your mum kind of cooks for you and you've, you're doing something called cooking for yourself. Um, now, I want to give you some some ad, some advice, okay? Um, to, to find out whether an egg has gone off because, you know, you bought the eggs and you thought you'd get loads because that would be really exciting and then they're still sitting there several weeks later. To know if it's gone off, you put it in a bowl of water. If it sinks, it's fine. If it's in the kind of middle, it's kind of in the middle. But if it floats, it's bad. Actually, come to think of it, it sounds a lot like the whole... Finding out if someone's a witch thing that they did. Anyway, but it's got nothing to do with that. Um, If the egg floats, it's bad. Now, that's how you know that it's gone off. How do you know if worship has gone off? You know, normally bad religion, bad worship, doesn't walk around with a sign around its neck going, hey, bad worship over here. We're all about me. One of the tests throughout the whole of the Bible for the health of worship is how the weakest and most vulnerable are treated. Listen to this from Isaiah 10. This is God way back when, before Jesus, seeing the same thing in the leaders of Israel. Woe to those who make unjust laws, to those who issue oppressive decrees, to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. Do you see it? Worship that's gone off, tramples on the vulnerable worship in Jesus' day had, uh, sorry, widows in Jesus' day they had no social security, no life insurance, they were utterly dependent upon the community to provide for them for God's people to provide for them and so worship that is healthy leads to Caring for people, caring for the poor and for the widow. James chapter 1 puts it this way positively. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. But Jesus says, watch out for worship that's gone off, that's gone bad. All that I am is all about me. All that I have, I share with no one. I'm not concerned with poor widows. In fact, they should be serving me and giving me money. And the problem with these teachers of the law, it can be a little bit punch and judy or kind of pantomime villains. You know, all the, the, the teachers of the law, aren't they bad? But don't you think this is ugly? The way that this worship victimizes people? And aren't you pleased that Jesus will have none of it? End of verse 40. How just is he? These men will be punished most severely. Watch out for a Christianity which is all about show prestige desiring to be a big name church and big name ministers many of us um maybe watch sermons from preachers on the internet and certainly listen to a lot of music from different churches and a lot of it's good but the danger with all of that kind of thing is that we know nothing of the life and character of those preachers or those musicians They, they look fine and but we don't know it might might be all show are they seeking a kind of internet honor how do they treat their church we don't know you know us as your leaders as a church you see our lives but we don't see theirs now i listen to sermons online and things like that but be careful watch out for a leadership that's all show and let's watch out for us as a church for the globe church how do we treat the most vulnerable members of our church family that's the test of good worship Someone asked in one of our church meetings, this is a good question we should keep asking. What does it look like for us to be a successful church? Good question. Well, here's one question we can answer with that. How do we care for our most vulnerable in our church family? So this is the worship Jesus finds in the teachers of the law. All that I am is all about me. All that I have, I share with no one. But remember I said we're going to look at Jesus and what his devotion is like. We're going to do this by looking at Philippians chapter 2, and it's going to appear on the screen. So this is a little hymn in the middle of Philippians. This is a letter which Paul wrote, and um, Paul is kind of outlining what Jesus has done. Watch out for Jesus' attitude here. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself Nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Imagine with me Christ, the Son in heaven. Imagine his flowing robe in the temple of heaven. Imagine the way the angels would greet him with honor as he rightly deserves. Can you see the Son of God sitting on his throne above all others, the highest place of honor at the banquet? And then he gave it all up. He left it all behind. Jesus didn't say, all that I am is all about me. All that I have, I share with no one. He said, this equality with God isn't for my own advantage. I'll give it all up. I'll give it all up to obey my Father and to save the world. Perfect worship, perfect sacrifice and devotion. That's Jesus. One of the things I think we long for as a, as a society is, um, is authentic leadership. I, there's a lack of authentic leadership right now in the world. John Baldoni of Forbes magazine calls authentic, authenticity the holy grail of leadership. The thing we know that it should have, but is the thing which nobody can seem to find in leaders. But we know it when we see it. And we see it in Jesus. No one compares to this pure, other centeredness. I'm gonna leave it all behind. God, I give it all to you, that we see in Jesus. Okay, let's move on to the next section. Remember, Jesus has come to the temple. He's what kind of worship does he find there? Verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few pence. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So in this little section, we get two approaches to worship set side by side. We've seen Jesus expose, worship turned ugly. What do we find here? Well, let's do some people-watching, because Jesus does not people-watching. I, I love people-watching. I know it's kind of a little bit awkward to admit that, but I love to sit in a cafe and just watch people go by. And on the tube, I'm like, looking down, looking at people. Anyway, maybe that's weird. But, but we do. When we, and when we're people watching, we assess people. And, and when we assess people, th- this is the reason why shops, you know when you go to a clothes shop, you get massive bags with the logo kind of on the side. I don't know why you have to have these massive bags for a little bit of clothes inside. And what they want is for you to walk around London and for people to so people watch you and go, hmm, they shop at that place. Hmm. They're that kind of person, okay? Now, Jesus does some people watching. Do you see, he sat down opposite the place where people are going to give their offerings, He's looking at their worship. You see, another test to see the health of worship is to look at the health of giving money. To look at the health of giving money. Because money speaks. If you spend a small fortune every week on coffee, that says something about your chemical dependency issues that you have. Some people here need to hear that. Okay. So God's people would come to the temple and they would give money towards the very expensive work of running the temple. But it wasn't just kind of maintenance money that they gave it to keep it going. It was in itself an, an act of worship, an, an offering. They were saying by their giving of money, God, have my money, have it back. You, you deserve it. It was, it was worship. So what kind of G- worship will Jesus find? Let's watch with him. So Jesus sat down, so he had a good view of the place where the offerings were given. Now they would have these big brass buckets that they were th- You think these are noisy, right? They have these massive things with kind of horn-shaped, so it's big on the outside, and you threw it in, and it was made of metal. And there was someone who would stand there and check that what you're putting in was real money, legal tender and all that, and throw it in. And, so they, would, and they would say how much it was. You know when um, people are doing, collecting money on the streets for charity and they have those buckets and they shake the buckets and it's just noisy and it's meant to make you feel slightly guilty as you go by. But it's really noisy. Now imagine rows and rows of these brass buckets. Imagine the noise as people were throwing in the money. It would be deafening. And here we have a crowd putting their money into the temple treasury and many rich people. And they're pouring in large amounts. And there's, remember, there's no paper. There's no beep of a kind of contactless thing here. These are all coins. Imagine the noise. Whoosh, in goes the coins. Then comes along another person. Whoosh, in goes the coins. Another person. Wow, Jesus, how, how's the health of worship at the temple? It's, it sounds pretty healthy. And Jesus says, wait, wait, there's, there's one more person coming along. A widow. We've just heard about widows. Remember that. We'll come back to that in a moment. So the whoosh of coins gives way to... Ding. Ding. She puts in one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. If money speaks, this is very quiet. So Jesus, what's the verdict? What kind of worship do you find in the temple? Verse 43. He calls his disciples to him to give them the verdict, to teach them... Truly, I tell you this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Now, my math isn 't brilliant, but Jesus has got that wrong. okay If I give a hundred pounds, I have given more money than the person who gives one pound. but Jesus says that this one widow who put in a couple of pennies gave more than all the people who put in loads of money in fact, he says he She gave more than all of them, put together, not just one-on-one comparison. No, Jesus, if 100 people give 100 pounds, they've given way more than the one person who's given one pound. Jesus, can you explain yourself? Okay, he says, verse 44, they all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. Here's his economy. They gave lots, but they had lots. She gave little, but she had little in the first place. She actually gave everything to the point of personal pain. So, in this little scene, Jesus finds two kinds of worship. Firstly, you've got the crowds of rich giving lots, but surprisingly condemned for actually not giving much. Here's their approach to worship. Lots of what I am I give to you. Lots of what I have I share with you. They take a look at their wealth and say, God, well, I've got a lot. And so you can have a lot of it. Here's a big chunk from me. Lots of what I am I give to you. Lots of what I have I share with you. That's the one bit of worship we find here. What's the second? Well, the widow. What sound do her two coins make in Jesus' ears? Ting. All that I am I give to you. Ting. All that I have I share with you. That's the sound those coins make. Now, think about it. Who in this story deserves to receive money? It's the widow. She's supposed to be taken care of. Remember, we've already seen she's a victim of this ugly religion. The selfishness of the leaders has meant she's at the point of poverty, of giving away everything she has. Two coins shouldn't be all that she has. She shouldn't be in poverty. She's a victim of bad religion. But this makes her her worship all the more beautiful, because despite the very real threat to health and well-being, she trusted God enough to give him everything. Her devotion to God was so high that she took the plunge and lived out to her own disadvantage, the promise of worship. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. Do you see? how that is a sweeter sound in Jesus' ears than lots of what I am I give to you. All that I am. I want you to imagine your entire life distilled into a box your entire life. Some of you will have done this if you've moved overseas where you have to kind of get everything into a box. I've got a friend, a family of four then have a family of five and they moved to Asia and they had to get their entire life as a family of four into four boxes. You try getting your life into four boxes. Anyway, they managed to do it. Imagine your life in a box. Not just your possessions, not just your money, but all of you, your, your devotion, your energy, your time, your passion. That, in that box is your pride. What gets you out of bed in the morning? your skills, your abilities, it's all there. What do you see in your box that is you? Some of us will look at our box of me. I feel pretty chuffed. If worship is giving to God out of all that I have, we can say, well, God, I've got quite a lot here. Here's my worship, have lots. You can have a chunk of my gifts, a good proportion of my money. This is good stuff. It's a good amount, have lots. You can have a lot of my time. You can have a lot of my energy. You can be very important to me. And we pour it out and it makes a great sound. Whoosh. How much has discipleship cost us? Lots, but not everything. There's still that that sin we enjoy. Look, God, I've stopped most of the other stuff, but, but not this one. I'm keeping that. There's a little bit of us which couldn't imagine life without X or whatever it is, a... An income, a family member, a relationship status—you can have the rest, God. But that one, no, that's under my control. I've given you lots, lots of what I am, I give to you, but that's mine. You don't go there. Now, as as respectable and generous as that may look on the outside, we're still holding back. We've given lots, but not all. And God wants all. There's no sin He doesn't want to help you fight all of your sin he wants to help you with there's no good thing in your life that he wants to let rival him he doesn't just want lots he deserves and wants all but sometimes again go back to your box what's inside what's inside the box of you how do you kind of sum up all that you have some of us though we look in our box this me and we think god doesn't want that i'm not rich i'm poor God, I just bring baggage. I bring I bring sin, I bring weakness, I'm not very gifted, I'm not much use, I don't have much money. Do you think God's gonna turn up his nose at you? Imagine you get on the bus and there's God. It's the only place. You've got to sit next to God. And you sit down and he, he does that thing, you know, he just kinda of shuffles oh, fine, I'm just gonna sit next to me. Shuffles over as if God's kind of hoping you're gonna get off the bus pretty quickly. Do you think he's going to look down your spiritual CV and see the ways you've been a victim? See your little experience, your little money, and he'll say, uh, we'll be in touch if a position becomes available. That's not God. That's not his heart. Listen to this from Deuteronomy 10. God defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. That's the heart of God. To live in God's house is to hand over everything at the door. And when we look at the poor widow, we see God welcomes anyone. And he doesn't turn up his nose at you and what you have to bring him. But here's my question. This is how we're going to finish. How can God do that? How can God just welcome me in with all my baggage, with all my poverty of money, my poverty of characters, with my sin? Or maybe you're thinking, well, how can God welcome me when my worship is so half-hearted? I'm a lots but not all kind of person. Here's how God can welcome you in. Let's go back to Philippians. Let's read it again. Remember, Jesus is the perfect worshiper. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Remember, he, he left it all. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Jesus didn't leave behind lots of the glory of heaven. He left it all. He wasn't very generous in his devotion to the Father. He was completely generous. He made himself not near the bottom of the pile. Did you hear it? Nothing. He had... Everything. We can't even imagine what Jesus owns as the king of kings and lord of lords. But he gave it all away by becoming a man. So he could pay the ultimate price, death. Even one step further, death on a shameful cross. Christ offered himself in obedience to the Father and said, All that I am I give to you, all that I have. I give my life as a sacrifice in the place of these people and their half-hearted worship. Now we've got to be clear. Our worship, our offering of all that we have and all that we are isn't the payment at the door to God's house. It would never be enough. Jesus this is really important because we oh we always do this with our heads and I do this. Jesus isn't teaching that the widow pays her way into a relationship with God with her excellent devotion. That's what all other religions teach, not Christianity. Christ is the payment. And when we have faith in Christ, in his death, that is when we trust completely in him, it's like we're we're wrapped up in Jesus. And God looks at us and he sees his perfection. So he looks at Phil and what kind of worship does he find? He finds a life of complete devotion and a heart of total sacrifice. Where does that come from? Because it's not me. Christ. When we come to God, he wants it all. All that we have, we should give to him. That's what he deserves. But my worship doesn't get me accepted. I worship because I'm accepted. Now I want to give him everything. Because here's the thing. If my my devotion is the thing that's going to get me a relationship with God, that is going to make me less devoted, not more. Because there'll be this burden on my devotion that I've got to keep this up, otherwise God's not going to accept me. We assume that God's standing there, arms folded. Unless I see a total dependence and devotion from you, you're not coming anywhere near me. So we try and we try and we fail. That's not what happens. God sends Jesus, who gave up all that he was, to die on the cross. Because Christ gave everything on the cross, we can come to God, forgiven for our lame devotion. And then, you see, from that place of acceptance, Christ calls us. Now you're accepted because of my devotion on the cross. Just like me, give to God all that you are. Give to him all that you have. We sing it in the song. We we sing it here a lot at Glow Church. And this kind of sums up everything we're trying to say. Jesus paid it all. And so now in worship, all to him we owe. Let's pray together. Father, we are amazed at, the, at Christ. When we look at our own worship, our own devotion, it is it's lacking. We confess that before you. But we praise you that you know that, and that is why you gave us Christ. And so we want to put our trust in him. And thank you that through him you accept us completely. Father, for those of us who feel that you surely wouldn't want our worship, you surely wouldn't want me and my devotion, help us to see your grace that you welcome, even us. And in fact, you're delighted with what we bring to you because of Christ. And I pray that we would leave here today and we would live wholeheartedly for you, that your spirit would enable us by grace to live totally for you as a response of worship, a heart of sacrifice, because that is what you deserve for all that you've done for us in Christ. And Lord, I pray as we come to sing now and to enjoy communion together, that you would speak to us of your devotion, your devotion in Christ. Amen. Amen.